I'm Sadek. And I'm Christian. And this is episode 161 of Shades of Brown. Uh, now with side th- effects from the Moderna vaccine. <laughs> no, that's, that's not, that is actually not true. Ultra wide band <laughs> edition. Honestly, uh, I'm pissed. You know what? No, no, no. <laughs> fuck, fuck whatever we're talking about this week. I was told this vaccine to make me ra- radiate 5G. But guess what? My phone's on on Wi-Fi right now. And do you know what it says? It says fucking LTE. For LTE? Oh, oh, not even 5GE. Not right? even 5GE. No, no, I don't oh. even get no 5G. And we're probably going to now get kicked off of Apple Podcasts for vaccine misinformation. <laughs> oh, my Jesus Christ. So uh, let's get started with, uh, we, we had uh, Google I.O. happen this week on Tuesday, I believe it started. Uh, uh, as uh, all these events are uh, the last couple of years. Oh, we didn't have no. Google I.O. last year, remember? There's no Google I.O. Oh, right. Last year, last year I didn't yeah. have, we didn't have Google I.O. I forgot. I thought we had one, but I didn't. It was canceled entirely. But this year, we had an online event, right? Entirely online, everything. All, all the events are online. Uh, they even had a little game for for presenters and journalists to play. Um, so, Let's let's talk about it. I mean, the big news, as always, with Google I/O is is Android. Everybody everybody loves Android. Uh, Android twelve uh, is is the, obviously the next version of Android. And the biggest, I think, the biggest theme here, safe to say, is 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 a redesign of the UI. I think this is more of a, like I think last year was more of a focus on the back end, right? Like sort of like the fixing up stuff on the back end, getting APIs like. Like better at like smoothing out stuff on the back end, but like this year, I think they focused more on the like not, not that they didn't focus on stuff in the back end this year, but also like the the stuff they're talking about right up front is a redesign of the UI. Uh, my my first thought on this UI is uh, there's a lot of rounded corners. I don't know how you feel about. Like, well, we should also say it's of, called Material U Y O U now. Yes. Uh, so fucking, I, I don't know what designers do in, 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 in the, on the West Coast. Like how much drugs? Is, uh, they I microdose. Know. That's what they oh do. God. Let's be really microdose. <laughs> like I, I really, like, I feel like they spent like an entire year coming up with a new fancy name. So yes, yeah, so we have material use, uh, like a, I guess, uh, iteration on material design, right? So, so, okay. I mean, sure. Let's go with that. Uh, so a lot of like, I think the focus, more on color, right? Like use of color in the UI, like use of color matching and uh, a lot of sort of uh, animations, right? A lot of anime, more animations in the UI than like I, my material design was always like, there's a lot of like little bit of bits of animation in the UI, right? But this one, I feel like they really sort of double down on the animation side of things. Like, there's a lot of animation. Uh, so how are we feeling about this? Uh, color matching rounded corners the animations you had. uh like what's what's the overall takeaway you know the problem i think with with google design initiatives is twofold firstly does it actually matter what a pixel looks like because everyone buys a samsung phone right like does it is a does it actually matter what it looks like but more so on to the ui itself i kind of feel like they're just fucking around not in a negative way but they i this is this is out there this to me is is something that's far more experimental with its use of color, button shapes, and design uh, other elements than, say, more traditional, you know, iOS, even Microsoft's own, you know, Fluent stuff or Windows is. And I think the reason they're they're doing that is how many people buy a Pixel, right? So if you buy a Pixel, you're already kind of probably nerdy, so you know, I feel like that that audience is more okay with these kind of UI designs. Because honestly, I kind of just want Google to pick something that's good and to stop changing it every year. <laughs> sure, I, 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 like I'm not like I don't use Android. I haven't used Android in a, since the Nexus Five days. So like I, I'm just, I'm just 
looking at these things. Like, I'm just looking at it. So like, the things have been changing every year. And it cannot be like if you buy a Pixel phone, right? Like if you're just a normal person who doesn't care about uh Android UI design, he just uses a smartphone, you know, like that's like the vast majority of people. Uh like if you just buy a Pixel phone and you you buy another one like this year or whatever. And you have an entirely different UI. Now you have to learn a, entirely like sort of new paradigms and new, new, you, like everything's different. Like you're like, you're, you have to relearn like the UI. It's not subtly different. It's like significantly visually different. So you're, you have to just have to relearn. Like there's a learning curve for Android every year. And I don't know if that's like a sustainable or good thing to do for a mature operating system. Like uh, to radically change, like, yes, like, Nobody buys pixels, statistically speaking, but like also like it feels like a rude thing for Google to do every year is to just switch up basic UI and UX patterns. Like I, I don't, I don't think that's that's great. And I would also say too, this looks really trendy, which isn't bad. Like I think I should say it doesn't look bad to me. But there's something, especially if you look at Holo, Android has not aged well. Like old Android designs have not aged well. No, no, not not particularly. No, and this uh, this feels like a very trendy aesthetic design. You know what I'm trying to say? Like it feels like uh, it feels like the open office San Francisco of of, of designs. You know, like very low information density rounded corners everywhere right things changing color very bright and colorful widgets right like a lot of animations it feels a lot of it feels the ui for the sake of ui like the animations feel like there's just sort of an indulge sort of indulgence right sort of like designer's indulgence i feel like they sort of matthias duarte just sort of like i don't know he he took one hit of the blood and just said animations everywhere you know like <laughs> no no you know what it is you know what it is and i i don't know how well this will translate from my head to what i'm saying i guess but when i look at this you know what i see i see the medium logo and the medium dashboard right like you get you get what I mean by that? Oh my god, yes. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You absolutely right. It looks oh my fucking god, it does look like that. This it's that trend it's that it's that aesthetic of design, right? Like it's sort of that semi sort of trying to be trying like big corporation trying to be friendly sort of vibe, right? You know, like that uh the sort of very uh this is the word for this. Uh, I I don't know. But like it's just this sort of corporate friendly esque design and like, I think some of the elements are cool. Like, you know, the wallpaper matching thing is, is neat, but also it's just a little bit weird. Sometimes it looks, there's not enough. Sometimes, like, one of the examples that they have with the green flowers, it just looks like the time is, like, a low contrast. Like, I, I there's a low contrast between the time and the wallpaper. Like, I'm not sure that's a, it's a great, great thing to be doing. I mean... But yeah, like, that, there, there's, there's a lot of these front-end UI changes. But there's also, like, I think the... Redesign of the widget system is probably important. Like, it's probably one of the more important UI changes, right? Like, the UI in the widget system in Android is, like, one of those things that people really, you know, love about Android is, is being able to use widgets, right? Uh, and, like, they're just new kind of widgets. Like, you, and, and if you, I think they mentioned that you have to, it's a new widget API. Is that, is that what's going on? Like, is there, like, a new, yeah, it's an entirely new widget API. So you remake them. Um, there's a bunch of Android developer videos, and the the joke they quipped is, you know, for our own Google Made apps and for your own apps, for third party developers out there, the one of the presenters is like, we both probably haven't updated our widgets since 2012. Oh my fucking god, <laughs> they dunk on themselves as well. That's great. Uh, I mean, yeah, the widgets API hasn't changed in a long time, right? Like that's the that's the joke they're trying to make is that the this is like one of the most yeah. 2012 early. was when they added the resizable widgets, I think. Uh, the last so time yeah, there, there, there hasn't been a change in the widgets in a long time. So I, I mean, I'm not like opposed to which like the widgets API changing here, but like also like I I don't know how much Android developers are going to care about changing widgets. Like Android is not a platform where apps like developers try to adopt these new uh, new features like very fast it's, it's gonna be a long tail like it's gonna be a while before we start to see like apps start to use the new widget styles and like new widget designs right like well I, it is I, it is significantly easier to build them though so like from a dev side they are uh they're literally apple watch widgets i was watching the the video on it and you remember how it's like apple watch or sorry uh, apple watch complications and ios widgets are the same thing right where it's like you have a timeline and data is presented the Android ones are literally the same way. Obviously, it's made in Kotlin and, and Java, of course, but it's like 
you define a timeline and different states of information that can be shown at different times. And the system presents them automatically. I mean, okay. So that's, I mean, I think that's good. I think if you're like, if you're like making widgets, if you're like a mobile developer who works on an Android and an iOS app, like, I feel like that's good to have that sort of similarity in architecture and design for, for widgets, you know, it makes things a little bit easier, less overhead to understand. Um, yeah. So, I mean, that's fine. Uh, I think there's stuff to talk about other than the design, right? Like, I think the, uh, what, what changed? Like the privacy features, right? Like the big thing is the, 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 the focus on the privacy dashboard, right? Uh, the privacy dashboard is this new, uh, new thing in set. I think it's in settings. Um, it, it shows you like uh, what apps used your location, uh, what apps used your camera, what apps used your microphone. And, you know, you can see other permissions like, you know, files, media, and, and contacts. Like, it shows you, like, in the past 24 hours, like, what apps used, like, you know, what, like, location, for example. Uh, and you can, like, you can just, like, look at it and you can turn off an app's access to location just, uh, just from that privacy dashboard. Uh, like, that. Yeah, it's a really good visualization of data you could probably have found beforehand, right? But I think that's actually, I think that's a really nice feature because it's just, it's easy. It's, I think there's some forms of data that um, that graphs are just easier, right? Like graphs are easier to follow than fucking spreadsheets. And also, like they're adding like these quick settings toggles, right? Like, for camera access and mic access, which is an interesting thing to me. Like you can just quickly tap like mic access and camera access to like like basically return dummy data to the to the app, right? You can you can you can make the app think that it has camera or mic access, but it actually doesn't, right? Like you can sort of like sort of uh, fool the app into, like, if an app doesn't let you launch something without, like, camera access, like, you can try, or, like, location access, you can, like, sort of give it, like, false information, and it'll launch anyway, right? Uh, like, that's that's cool. Uh, there is the uh, Android private compute core, right? Uh, this is, uh, this is, like, a sandbox, right? Like, this is just that, just that. like, it's, like, a separate sandbox where, uh, AI stuff happens on the phone. Like, it's like a closed off gated sandbox where you can only access, uh, the functions via specific APIs. It's limited. And also it cannot, like, access the access to network, right? Uh, like, yeah, like iOS has an equivalent to this, right? Where the secure enclave protects, um, on device machine learning models when they're running from being, like, tampered with. So it's the same sort of idea here where, um, local on-device speech recognition, photo analysis, those sorts of things are all ran in this um, sandbox, and it just can't access out to the network and do other things. Um, you know, so just I, I think the I, I I'm some more surprised that it wasn't uh, this wasn't a thing before. <laughs> That's actually what I was. Uh, th- that was more shocking to me is that they didn't already have this in a sandbox and it was just running in the same like user space as all of your other applications. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I um, I mean, it's good that this is here, but also like, is this like does this? I think this is a software feature entirely, but I don't know if it requires hardware. Like, does it require any hardware? Like, no, it just says it's of- software right now. So, if, in the security talk, they were just talking about how it can be, you know, protected using the um, Titan chip and the pixels and then the Nox, whatever it's called, and Samsung devices. Yeah, the Nox chips, like the yeah, the sort of sort of the secure enclave equivalents, right? Like the hardware security uh, protection chips. Like, I mean, sure. Like, this is just sort of like more defense in depth sort of security stuff. I, I, that's fine. Well, remember, remember. You can't spell trust without rust. For context, um, there's, there's it's in our show notes. There's a security talk, and part of what they're doing at a core system level is uh, mass. I mean, everyone in Mastodon's happy, I, I imagine, because rust is uh, the hotness there. But um, they are rewriting core system libraries slowly, but they are being an initiative to rewrite core system libraries not um, that are existing. They're currently in C plus plus or C, and to write them in Rust. Um, with a more sort of um, you, you mentioned earlier, is it defensive design by default? Like, there's a there's a word for it. De, 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 uh, no, uh, like defense uh, in depth, like sort of, uh, s- sort of like you 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 try like uh, like sort of an infosec concept of like you know have your multiple layers of protection protecting different things, sort of isolating things from each other, having multiple layers of defense, right? 
I think I think the thing with the Rust thing is to is to reduce the amount of memory based vulnerabilities like uh memory what's the term for it uh rust like memory safety yes that's that's the term uh memory safety in these sort of uh very sort of like low level apis low level code right like sort of written in c or c plus plus that's like this vulnerable has the possibility of vulnerability to memory safety issues right and to protect against that kind of like issues you sort of rewrite this this low level code in, in a systems programming language like Rust, and you 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 use Rust's memory safety features to protect against the, those sort of uh, so sort of vulnerabilities, right? So it's sort of a defense in depth features that you're you're trying to like protect it in a, in a different layer, sort of like you're using the language to give yourself this, this layer of protection against against memory safety vulnerabilities. Right? A lot of these low level bugs or vulnerabilities that happen in Android are like memory safety issues, right? So it's 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 I think it's it's actually a pretty smart and a good thing that if this is like Rust uh, is is uh, replacing some amounts of C plus plus or C code like in, in the Android depths of the Android core, right? Like I I think that's like a good thing overall long term. Uh, even if it's a, it's a fun thing to joke about with the Rust and Trust thing, <laughs> it's very funny. Uh, but yeah, I think this is overall like. A, a long-term effort, and it's 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 generally a, a good thing to happen uh, as, as software development goes. Uh, so there's that. Uh, is there like anything else? Like the oh, you talk about the AI stuff, like from Google I/O, I guess. Uh, well, there's a couple more things in Android 12. I think that we we'll want to talk about. Um, one of them is a lack of new accessibility features. I think it's important to bring up because I think every time we try and talk about software updates, if we can throw in accessibility stuff, we will. But I just don't. I was looking through it and like I could not find any new accessibility stuff. Like Google had a little blurb about how this new material you thing is um, going to be only using A11Y, you know, um, color palettes. So contrast should not be an issue when it picks your backgrounds. But um, with regards to say other things here, like yeah, honestly, the like an accessibility menu gets some layout tweaks, but I don't, I don't see anything. Yeah. Not a major, not a major, not no major uh, accessibility related features coming in here. Yeah, it was just kind of, um, you know, it, it's it's disheartening um, because while I, iOS always has more, and I don't like, I mean, well, actually, I, I think I'm comfortable saying actually iOS is objectively better with its accessibility features than Android is. It doesn't have to be that way. Like Google has enough money to pay an accessibility team to do amazing work, right? Like it, real, the, the resource it's just a, it's a resource priority management kind of style situation. Of course, it's not a it's not a lack of like resources, lack of like allegation, and like sort of like the focus of the software design teams. Like, what are they focusing on? Right, like that's that's the question. And accessibility is sort of on the sidelines here. Uh, like, really, it's on the sidelines. It's not really the main focus. I, I think Apple always talks about. It accessibility as a mainline feature in especially in keynotes and in advertising and marketing like they they focus on it right and the and, and they deliver features that are good and important for accessibility so i think it's it's i think it's a fair comparison to say that ios is doing better because i think it is doing better uh overall like also i think i should mention too the official google blog post about android 12 does say there are new accessibility features but there's no link to them i can't like it's it's it, you know I've 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 spent like I've spent five minutes searching for it. Um, I put in enough work for it. Google do better. <laughs> Google just please, uh, please do better. So speak of doing better, you know, uh, we got to talk about AI. Uh, this is this is uh, this is just like I like Google uh has like an AI like thing that they talked about, like a couple of things that they talked about in in, in IO, uh, next generation AI talking to a. Pluto and a paper airplane. Um, it's called Lambda, uh, which is which is you know not a great name, but I know it's it's what it is. Uh, I think the biggest sort of topic of discussion when it comes to Google's AI and endeavors is not that the existence of AI or or even really technically the functionality of these UI, AIs, but sort of the ethics side of things, right? Like, what are they doing to ensure that like these AIs are their models are sourced properly like ethically and the data that they're using is being looked at in you know for a point of view of an ethicist right like i like what is what are they doing about ethics here like, like the what is what's 
And I think, uh, I don't know how, I don't know if we talked about this, like the AI firing thing. It was a while ago, right? Like this happened like, uh, a couple last months ago. Year? Yeah. Uh, maybe a couple months ago, like they fired one of their, a couple of the, actually, uh, like a couple of people on their AI ethics team who wrote a paper, or rather, I guess they wrote something that was extremely like, hey, Google is not like putting these considerations like upfront, like not, not giving us like this sort of, like these, these AIs have a lot of problems that are, that are not being like, like, focused on and not being solved and not not being like the like google doesn't care about ai ethics is basically like the gist of the like that, that they got summarily fired right and sort of that is like the background in which these ais are ai stuff is getting talked about not by google but by other people like people in the ai industry people people who think about ai ethics uh like just like the backdrop of this is google doesn't even they didn't even acknowledge that this stuff came out of like their fire. Well, and I think I think it's important to say the names too. The you know two people they did fire. I'm absolutely positive the people or the, the people listening to our podcast are familiar with them. But uh, it's Tim Gibru and Margaret Mitchell. Um, of course, Tim Gibru is a woman of color as well, which makes us even more fucked uh, because she specifically with regards to the Lambda model, the paper they're trying to get published was one on the racial biases of a language, a natural language processing model. Um, and also to, there is this model, of course, there's another one, uh, not a model per se, but a feature where you take a photo of your skin and it will tell you if you have a skin condition, right? You know, say if you have like a rash, like what kind of rash it would be. And of course the data set that was originally used is uh, not uh, very, uh, you know, I believe 4% was the number of, of folks of color, according to Fitzpatrick scale, you know, of those kinds of darker skin tones that was used in that data set, which is uh, quite fucked. Yeah. Uh, so, like, Dr. Dr. Gerber is, like, she she was, uh, like, pressured to retract a research paper, right? Like, and when she when she posted about, about like, her being frustrated about that, like, on a, on a Google a mailing list, a Google internal mailing list, uh, she got, like, like, she got fired, right, basically. Uh like it was like it's just it's very like it's very like like they wanna appear as they don't care about things like ethics, right, but they don't actually wanna do the put in the work or listen to people who actually you know actually know about ethics and they actually are giving them criticisms and like sort of giving them direction like they don't wanna actually do the work right like they wanna show that they're doing the work, but they don't actually care. To actually do the work, right? Like it's just lip service, right? To ethics, not actually giving a shit about ethics. You know, like it. It feels just sort of like you have. What, what's the point of an ethics team if 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 you're gonna like fire them at the first sign of criticism, right? Like, what's the point of that? Uh, like that's that's the- well, it's sort of it's a product first mindset, which sometimes is useful, right? Like. I think in games, for example, right? Like, I think there's absolutely some times where you need to have a product first mindset because you got to ship the game or you have to ship the thing, right? But when it comes to something that's so... It, I think it's a difference of importance because video games don't matter. I mean, they do, but they don't, right? Whereas a natural language processing model that could be used in hospitals and other contexts, right? Or right. For, it's, like, it's a, it's communication, a different setup. Yeah, yeah. It's way different set of priorities, way higher on the list of things you don't want to fuck up. They're, they're treating this like they're treating these AI products like they are another messaging app, you know? Like they're not. Like they're. Not, I mean, even messaging apps have ethical considerations that they, Google really just consider. But like, they're treating this as one of their like just just another project that doesn't require any sort of ethics verification, like any sort of uh, oversight on, on on ethics. Like it's I, I I like this is I mean unsurprising, but like. This is like the future Google is trying to focus on. These these projects are like what Google is trying to like sort of like say that these are like the future of hashtag computing or whatever, right? Like this, like the future of uh, what what's going to happen on Android devices, on on Google search, like uh, on on YouTube, or like the algorithms that run YouTube, the algorithms that do search, like they they are. Increasingly using AI and machine learning and uh, uh, like machine learning models to change the information and present the information that's being shown in in Google search or via Google Assistant. You know, like that. It it's increasingly like unclear as to how much ethical oversight there is like into those things. 
makes it it's it's not it's not good not not, not good uh, uh do you want to talk about the retail store speaking of not good google <laughs> thanks uh do we care about the retail store uh I don't. I don't think you care because it's in uh, the announcement. I mean, fuck New York City. That's first and foremost. But secondly, you can now buy Stadia in person. I guess there you go. Actually, speaking about things, were there any Stadia events at Google? Let me actually search this real quick. I will cut this out of the show if there was nothing. I need to actually see. Was there anything at Google I/O about Stadia? Like real quick, because I didn't. I didn't hear anything either. I don't. I didn't hear anything about Stadia. Uh... So I I don't think there was anything about Stadia in Google I.O. Nope, there was nothing at Stadia at Google I.O. Yep. Um, oh, and of course, um, an Android blog, which I'm on, said uh, Stadia isn't the right fit for Google I.O. I, I don't think that's the... Um, what, what would it be a fit for? But that's... that's, that's uh that's mm, i have like like yeah that's a little like i i feel like yeah the, uh, google stadia not being not being mentioned is, is unfortunate so this well actually one last thing that we should mention too about android um i forgot to bring it up we're talking about android 12 third-party app stores can now automatically update themselves in android 12 because you remember a big part of the epic oh you mean like android android can like update it's android okay. epic game store they can now self-update without doing like the weird dance that had to be done beforehand. Do you think this is some sort of anti antitrust lawsuit? Absolutely. Absolutely. It is, right? Like this is this is like some sort of they're trying to they're trying to open it up a little bit so that they don't get the same sort of uh lawsuit that uh, Apple is dealing with, you know? Or or same sort of regulatory attention from from regulators uh, across the world. Like the this is just this is just that, I think. I mean, okay, sure, good, I guess, for if you're using Android or other third-party stores on, on Android, uh, this is a good thing. Uh, the Google Store thing, I'm just going to mention it really quickly. They are planning, quote-unquote, uh, another physical retail store in, in New York City. Uh, they're going to have, uh, supposedly, Pixel phones, Nest devices, Fitbits, uh, repairs, workshops, tech support. Uh, this is like not their first attempt at a at a Google store. Uh, there was the Google barges thing, uh, which was a series a fleet of container ships that they bought secretly uh, in 2010 to show have like floating retail showrooms. Um, uh, there's also there was the time that they tried to do another store in in NYC in 2015 and they leased a space and apparently they spent like six million. Uh, renovating the building before they just canceled uh, the project and subleased the building. Um, and when, like, it's just like Google keeps attempting to do retail stuff, and I think it just doesn't know what, like, what entails actually being in the retail space. Like, they don't, they don't want to commit to it. Like, it's, I don't think you could just like open a store and be, if it's not successful, like, you have to commit to it a little bit. Like, you know, like it's not. A, the retail stores are not like a thing that you just like build on and it's like it's going to be mega successful straight away. Right? You got to have to build like a presence over time, right? That's that's how you say build retail. Uh, so that's that's a, it's. I'm sure we'll hear about this being canceled in like six months. You know. Uh, so I mean, the weird thing about a Google retail store is like you remember when the Microsoft stores were around before they canned those. The best thing about a Microsoft store was actually not buying products, but it was being able to do service there. You know what I mean? Like, I had a Surface that broke once. They just went in there, looked at it, and like, oh, we'll swap it out. We can repair it in-store. Honestly, that's the, the, the... I don't care about the retail part of it, but having, like, a local repair shop you can go to, right? Like, that's that's the more important part about it. Yes, 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 yes. That's, I think, that, that's that's the important thing. And Google has never had that, right? Like, one of the things about the Pixel phones is, like, if you have an issue, you gotta, like, send it in, right? Like, you gotta, like fucking mail it like you can't go to like well i mean they might have like a replacement thing too but that you know like like sometimes um with other manufacturers it depends on who it is like for apple for example right you have to place a hold on your card for the full value of it what they swap out the phone right it's like and i I imagine having like an in-person option is always sure like like if you have a samsung phone you can like if you bought it from a carrier obviously go to a carrier store which i mean or um you go to ubreak ifixes samsung partners with them that's a in the states i should say i think it's jump plus or whatever it's called in canada is it jump? Is it jump plus? Is that a repair shop? Maybe. And I, I don't know. I don't. I, I have no idea. I've never been to a phone repair shop. Uh, so there's that. 
Uh, there is the thing we talk about. Uh, I think one of the, this is like actually a bigger news than any of the other stuff is the Gware OS and Tizen merger. Quote. So we have to start at the beginning, though. Oh, we have Lord. to start at the beginning. We have to right? start at Memo. So, yes. We have yep, to start yep. at so in 2015, Intel had forked Moblin, was it? Mo- oh, my God. Linux Mo- nerds, please Migo? add me. Migo? La- Migo? No, no, no. Migo? No, Migos was afterwards. That's culture. Oh, Migos. But, <laughs> Migos. <laughs> okay, so for real, though, Linux nerds, please add me if I have this timeline wrong. But if I remember correctly, Memo was an Intel netbook Linux distro. That was a fork of Mandriva or Moblin or something like that. Mandriva sounds wrong, but yes. What was maybe. Oh my, I'm going to fucking Wikipedia. We had a Memo Linux distro. We gotta look this up. Like, what is Memo based off of? Like, I, I don't. Like, this was this was back when I don't know anything about mobile OSs and uh, uh, Memo. Okay, I'm on the Wikipedia page here. So let's see here. Ah, yes. Moblin was Intel's Netbooks Linux-based thing. Came out in 2009. Um, Memo was by Nokia. Memo was was Nokia's, like, original development software platform of, like, an operating system and an SDK, right? Like... uh, and Moblin like was a fork of SUSE. It was a fork of OpenSUSE. Oh, OpenSUSE. Yeah, like, yeah, okay. Yeah. And then Mamo was Nokia's. Um, Mamo is based on Debian. Uh, and it's, it, has, it uses, like, GNOME libraries and frameworks. Uh, like, it was, like, terminated in support of uh, Migo. Yeah, so Mamo and Moblin were sort of merged together to become Migo. Um, like, like I said, for the culture and then Migo started rolling out for different things. And then you remember Migo sort of went two separate ways. There's Mare, I think there's Salafish OS, which you might know from the Yala phone as, um, the Scandinavians or people from Scotland, Yola? whatever they're called. J O double L A, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The Yala phone. Salafish OS and Yala phone at the end of 20. 13 was when this like mer uh like thing like selfish os launched uh so like right. but but then it also like the intel the, the commercial side of it became tizen and tizen was sort of heads you remember like samsung was thinking about like switching away from android piece of google control and all that sort of stuff yes right? yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah so that's sort of where we're we're sitting at so now we have tizen and Samsung has now announced that they are moving away from Tizen to merge it with Wear. It used to be called yeah, yeah, Android merging, Wear. They're, like, they're, they're Wear like merging like features and code and whatnot, in, like sort of melding the two OSs together, right? Like using Tizen's abilities to combine with Wear OS and make it better, or whatever. So, um, would like I. So this is weird to me because, like, I mean, obviously, as you said, Tizen oh, and I should on. say too before we hop into this, Samsung's prior Linux-based OS is called Bada. So Tizen is actually like four different things. Um, oh my God! Look at this screenshot of Bada. Hold up, hold up. I am. This is the chapter art. You need to look at this. Look, look. It looks like a fucking. It looks like TouchWiz, but worse. Oh, oh, that just looks like TouchWiz, bro. Like it's 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 like extremely okay. So now I see where. Uh, Samsung's uh, early TouchWiz uh, design inspiration came from. Okay, sure. Uh, so yeah, like Tizen, like the Tizen is supposed to be like Samsung's bet on like an operating system, so that like sort of they 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 put in research and development into it just to have like some sort of alternative that they could use in their devices when if things like their relationship with Google went sour, right? Like it was just a hedge, right? Like it was just sort of like hey. We we put all our eggs in the Android basket. Like we th- we really need to have like a Plan B, right? Like and so they 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 made they, they this works worked on Tizen. Tizen's still going. There's Tizen devices, right? Like the Samsung watches, right? The uh, I don't know what they're called actually. I don't know what the brand name is for Samsung's watches. Uh, Galaxy watches? Are they called Galaxy? Yeah, there's watch? the Galaxy watches. Okay. Uh, so those run Tizen. Right? Like those don't run Android Wear. They they run Tizen, they use, do they use, they use like Samsung's Exynos chips, right? Like the, okay, sure. So Tizen devices like all use like their, their, their Samsung's own, uh, in-house, uh, Exynos chips. So, so they have been, they have been, like, that's a, like, at this point, I would it'd be safe to say that's like a mature operating system. Like, like more. No, no, the apps are garbage. 
Um, Tizen watches are fast. Uh, uh, I mean, I mean, mature doesn't. It's old enough to be stable. Maybe uh, not good, but like you know, like doesn't crash. It's not beta. It's not like the real time OS and the OnePlus Watch. Like I don't think we ever followed up on it, but that watch is bad. If you saw any of the reviews of the OnePlus Watch, that's bad. Oh yeah, the reviews. Uh, no, no, it's not. It's not great. It's 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 rough. Uh, so Tizen merging with Wear OS. Um, do you think just Google just sort of like was like? We should give, we will want to give up on Wear OS, but what if we just gave the market to Samsung instead? Do you think it's a good bet to give the entire Android Wear, Android wearables market over to Samsung? Because technically, yes, it means, this means that other OEMs like Fossil, right, can make devices with ty- like this Tizen Wear Wear. They could just call it Wear now. This Wear OS. Oh fuck, it's a terrible name. Uh Wear OS uh Tizen hybrid running on fossil watches. But like do you really think like anybody else is gonna give a shit about this is making- this is the last digit temp, I think. I think this is really is. Yes, it really is. Like it's this is this is like Google like I mean the only saving grace though Fitbit we haven't talked about yet is now powering the fitness platform for this. Okay, I think that's a good thing. So, right? Like I think that's so, a good thing. and people actually buy Fitbits. So the fact that Fitbits, new Fitbit devices, probably are going to be running this is the saving grace for it. Because Samsung watches, people buy it. So Samsung and Fitbit are the two reasons why I actually think this will work because they already have existing market bases, right? Like if you want to watch watch, people usually get the Samsung one if you have a um, Android device, right? Those are sure, but if you want to like a fitness, like I know Fitbits are like really popular, right? Like it's they're they're pretty popular, and I think that that's a larger like sort of like audience and base for for this product, right? Like it's gonna. Like if it's gonna run like this Tyson and Wear OS stuff, like I feel like Fitbit is a good place. Like I maybe Wear OS will be sort of just this thing that just does like the Fitbit fitness stuff, and not much else, right? Like I, I I don't I don't know. It's just sort of feels like Google gave up on like it becoming a competitor to to Apple's Watch OS and and Apple Watch, right? Like this just sort of like. Yeah, it doesn't, it's not really working. So we're just going to give it to Samsung and Fitbit and hope they can like sort of, sort of have some sort of stable enough base to keep the project going. Right. Like I, 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 I don't like, yeah, it's, it's good that Fitbit is popular and maybe they will be able to like keep this thing going, but this doesn't feel great. Like it feels like a sort of, uh, yeah, it's, it's last shot. Like it, I mean, I it, it is seems to be more technically competent. So like I was reading some of the developer notes. Did you know? Did you know that old on older Wear OS devices, there wasn't a unified OS level system for metric counting? And by metric counting, I mean heart rate, blood pressure, and that. That was a custom implementation per OEM. What? Why? There was not a standardized API to get oh, that Jesus data Christ. and to also set that data oh, from the sensors. Oh, One of the perks God. of this is a new unified health systems like API set for developers and OEMs. Um. Okay. Okay. Sure. But you think about that, and it's like, how? What? How? Why? I. I. I think this just sort of like I think this exemplifies the Google's lack of care, right? Lack of care when it came to where I was. Like I know, like Ron over at our stack always like like he was just like out on the Google that just doesn't give a shit. But Wear OS, like they really did it, right? Like that, you, the thing that you just mentioned, like if you actually gave a shit about a Wear OS, you would, you would, you would focus on that sort of low level SDK and API stuff, right? Like you would, you would smooth that shit out. Wear OS didn't even have the front Google facing apps, right? Wear OS never had a YouTube Music app, never had a Google Maps app. Oh my like, god, yeah. All right. this basic stuff that me and you have on our Apple Watches, like Google never had on Wear OS, which is right. So Google didn't care about Wear OS, and now they're just like. Yeah, we don't care, but maybe Samsung and Fitbit will be able to be like able to salvage this mess and make something out of it with their platforms, right? And for Samsung, this is a win-win, right? Like because they get to expand their Tizen platform even more, and Fitbit is like, hey, uh, we people still care about us, so you know. Well, and Samsung specifically gets to win because they can sell Galaxy watches to all Android users now. Because so with with Tizen, you Samsung phones obviously the software is at a system level; you don't have to install ten things. But I think it's five helper apps you need to get a full Galaxy Watch working on another one. 
because it's it's not Android Wear, right? So you no, have it's to not. have different it's, helper it's, apps it's, like it's notifications, own software, health, yeah, Samsung's own stuff. And S Health is going away. S yep, is... Rip Self. It's such a bad name. <laughs> I mean, I'm good. There's some unification. The Google Fit is going to be like the new unified, I guess, UI front end to the, all this met, UI, like fitness metrics. Uh, I mean, I'm like, if you, if you, I, I don't know if there's anybody in the audience who uses Google Fit or any of the Android fitness stuff. Like, if they use Fitbit. With Android, like, let us know. What do you think about this? Like, are you, like, are you hopeful about the future of this? Like, I, I, I don't know how many people actually use Wear OS or even Fitbits in our audience. Maybe some of you do. Uh, let us know how you feel. Uh, how you feel about Tizen. Oh, I should say the last thing too about um, the new Wear is Google's now allowing for uh, manufacturers to customize the OS like you do a regular Android, which is important because. Um, Prior, all you could do is custom watch faces. If you're a fossil or someone else using Wear OS, you couldn't actually build custom experiences on it. Uh, right, right, right. So this is, I mean, maybe, maybe this is meaning that fossil will actually make something or other, there might be a new OEM, maybe. Hopefully, I don't, I don't think there will be any OEM, but you know, maybe that's the hope that maybe, maybe there will be somebody who's interested in making watches for Android platforms. Well, I, I mean, I think if it's decent enough, it'll like, if you make a connected watch, if they, if Google makes wear decent enough, then it'll just be the default option. Like for example, even though there wasn't much Android TV news, I'm positive that given enough time, LG, Samsung and Vizio are all just going to switch to Android TV. Right. And stop investing in their own custom solution. I mean, LG still does their WebOS stuff. Like, I, uh, but the thing is, though, right? Because you can now modify Android TV and Wear sort of the same way. So you don't need like because all they care about is ad money, right? All they care about is putting mo- ad money, and you don't need to control the whole platform to make ad money, right? You just need to build on top of a base OS. So I wouldn't be shocked if they all move to like Android TV as a base to save money on R and D or whatever, right? So like LG, LG could just like dump their old web OS team and theater will be very sad. Uh, so, so 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 there's that. So let's like let's we have some Apple news to talk about. It's- we 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 would have had Microsoft news, but I wasn't allowed to talk about Windows Core OS and the death of Windows 10X. But for all four <laughs> of you out there, I got you. I got you in my heart. Nobody cares about Windows 10X, bro. Like, literally, you and the guy who, who was it Tom Warren, uh, like, or like whoever runs WindowsCentral.com these days are the only people who care about Windows 10X. Listen, um, Windows Core is an OS architectural redesign. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. All right, let's, let's talk about accessibility. You know, we, we, uh, we, this is actually like a, I, I think this is pretty cool. Uh, like, uh, Apple announced, um, a new uh, set of features uh, uh, this week on May 20th. They announced uh, something called Sign Time, right? Like that's the name. Uh, sign Time is a sign language interpreter service for contacting Apple Care and retail customer care through web browsers. Um, so, like, how do you feel about this? Like, like what? Like, this, Sign Time uh, is a thing. Uh, so it is essentially like you. You open, uh, I guess you request a sign time session and then you get assigned like a, a person who does, uh, who essentially translates sign language into voice to the person on the, 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 the customer care person on the other end, right? Sort of like a, sort of like a, like a translator interpreter, like in between, right? The translating between like the customer care's audio and, and like using sign language to translate back, right? Uh, like, is that is that how that works? Uh, I'm not like entirely sure. Like how what the the technology is like? Do you, do you have to have like I guess you have a video call going on? Uh, so and I should say this is um the I guess the interesting bit about this is that it is the first time I think a actual company has built one on their own because so in the U.S. the uh, FCC does provide a um video relay service. No, it's called it's. No, it's VRS is what it's called. It, it's called Video Relay Services for Sign Language Interpreters to Make Phone Calls to Call Centers or to other places like doctors, you know, appointments and all of that. That is something we have in the U.S. I don't, and it is funded by, like, there's a public um, government fund for it that I think, like, Social Security tax dollars, some other tax dollars go to. I don't know if Canada has it. I've met Canada probably has an equivalent. I, I probably do, but I don't, I don't know what it's called. If anybody knows, let us, let, let us know what it's called. I would love to know. Uh, yeah. But, yeah. Yeah, but the U S does have one that is publicly funded. So I think if this isn't like say new, for example, but I think what is of note is that it's like one that's being 
entirely paid for by like a company just for people to contact them right like and i think and i mean it's more resources put towards people hard of hearing also even hard of sight right to get better accessibility support via you know public documentation or phone support just in general is 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 notable um so that's why we wanted to mention it but i think the real thing we really want to talk about and i will actually put a link directly to the video as well yes i think the video is um, worth because i think the video is a good demonstration but of it's why the apple watch um what's the proper name for it? assistive touch for the apple watch so yeah there's a video here i'll briefly describe it and i it's one of those things that really shows that accessibility features are not just for people who say are less abled right it just it objectively but so how this works is you can clench your hand pinch your fingers and rotate your wrist to control your watch. So basically it uses the accelerometer and like a little mouse pointer pops up on the screen, right? And you just kind of rotate your, your wrist to move the pointer. You can clench or pinch to select the UI element. And you can also scroll by rotating as well. And the video does it more justice than I'm explaining it, but yeah, the, the, really the, everybody like who, who wants to see how this works, you should watch the video because Honestly, the first time I saw this, I was like, holy shit, that's genius. Like, that's, like, actually, like, extremely smart. Like, it's, like, it's one of those things where you're like, wait, right, the Apple Watch has these sensors. You can detect these movements. And, yes, you can use them to control the UI. Like, that's kind of, like, a genius, like, thing to do. And, uh, like, I, I'm really glad that this is, like, it's not even, like, this is the thing, like, you mentioned. Like, it's not just, a, it's not, like, if you have trouble, uh, like, using uh, your other arm to select items on the on the on the, like use the watch OS UI, but also like if you if you are if you if you have like you're holding something in your right hand, you cannot you know move. If you're literally doing anything where you can't touch the screen, right? If you're like say you're washing dishes, I don't know, or you're cooking or something, right? It, there are so many times that you probably would not want to touch your watch with your finger if your finger's dirty, right? If your hand's dirty. Many times that would happen. And so that's why it just, it's something as soon as this actually comes out in software, I'm, I'm going to enable it and just run my watch of it by default. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, Sam, like I, I, this, this, this is just a very clever feature and it's, it's, it's very cool. Uh, there's some voiceover stuff coming later, right? Like there's some iPad OS, like, support for third-party eye-tracking devices, right? Uh, there is support, like, voiceover will include more details and images using ML models. Like, is this is that what that is? I think that's what that is, right? Like, they will analyze, the ML models will analyze images and provide more uh, more details in, in the voiceover narration, right? Like, is that what that is? Uh, okay. Uh, there's also, like, a uh, made for iPhone hearing devices program. I actually didn't know about this. Like, I, I didn't know this. Was- yeah, so there are specific hearing aids you can get that'll Bluetooth pair to your phone. You can also, um, you can upload audiograms. Is that yeah, audiograms is what it's called. So basically, how it works is you remember headphone accommodations with the bop. You know, I talked about that. You would like it'll like do system wide um dynamic EQ stuff along with that limiter. So what you can do is you can upload an audiogram, which basically is a hearing you know fancy hearing test that figures out what frequencies can you not hear or can you hear less of and it will eq all system audio to match that audiogram so you can actually hear things that's that's cool and there's also they're introducing background sounds which is like a white that you can use it to like provide like uh like balanced bright or dark noise as well as ocean rain or stream sounds you know basically white noise right uh which is i mean that's pretty cool like i I like that you know and because i also that will kill like some entire subset of apps that charge monthly subscriptions for for that you know uh there's a whole subset of apps that do that on the app store by the way um so yeah there is like a lot of like this stuff they even announced before wwdc right they just sort of announced this just ahead of Ahead of WWDC, and uh, that's pretty cool. To probably like, get I, good PR during the uh, trial. <laughs> sure, I I am sure this is part of the a part of the PR stuff, but that doesn't mean these features are not going to be useful. Like these these are PR or otherwise, like these are actually useful, meaningful features to talk about. Uh, so let's talk about let's talk about speaking of meaningful features, the complete opposite of a meaningful feature. Uh, lossless audio in Apple Music. I just dunked on every audio file, and they're gonna all unsubscribe, uh, all one of them. 
Um, I mean, listen, if you're an audiophile, why aren't you paying me on Patreon for the flack version of this podcast? I know. Well, that's right? something. What, what there you go. Put, you, put your money where you listen to is, 64 uh, kbps mp3. Bruh. <laughs> um, but so, so I think, yeah, so, Apple, yes, music Apple Music announced their lossless and hi-fi tiers. Now, you might be asking to yourself, what is lossless music? What is hi-fi music? I will we'll explain it as simple as possible. You have you have two things in music. We have three, I guess. You have a codec, you have a sample rate, and you sort of have like the frequency rate, right? So, for example, most music that you are listening to is 44.1 kilohertz, probably 320 uh, for the bit rate. Uh, not, probably not, no. Probably variable bit rate MP3s, right? Or, a, I don't know. Right. Or, or AUG or, or whatever, or right? AAC, for Spotify. Right? Like, if you're using... Like- but, but really, it's like 320, 20, 256, maybe 128. So basically, those are like the sorts of compression that's used for music and sort of how it's played back at that, um, that specific hertz, which is what your speakers play music back at. And now, audio files for years have been saying that using, say, a lossless codec is better because there's more audio data and you can have a higher sample rate of, say, like 192 samples. Um, the 24-bit or one, like 192 kilohertz. Uh, right. Yeah, 192 kilohertz, you know, 24-bit music because there's more data and therefore it's more high-definition, high-resolution audio. And Apple Music is now offering a tier that provides music, you know, the source music at 24-bit, 192 hertz, you know, it was high samples, high bits. 192 kilohertz, yeah. And also what they call, quote-unquote, CD quality, right? Which is, uh, which you mentioned is the 16-bit, 44.1 kilohertz uh, resolution, right? Like, so, so this is, the, this is uh, using Apple lossless audio codec, also known as ALAC, right? Uh, so the ALAC is, you know, I think ALAC is available everywhere freely now. Like it's not, yeah, a it's open source. Anymore, it's open source, right? but yeah, it's, it's just, it's really flack. It's literally yeah. just Apple's it's version just, of flack. Uh, okay, sure. So ALAC is being going to be like, like used in this. Uh, so you have two tiers of this. The one they're calling just lossless and one they're calling like hi-fi lossless, right? Uh, so, so what's like the, like the biggest thing about here, biggest thing here is one, the first thing is that this is going to be available at no extra charge to Apple Music subscribers, right? There is. Well, I would say the most thing, the most important thing about this is that you literally won't hear a difference. So it won't matter. But yes, it will also be available for free. <laughs> well, free, with no additional charge, I guess. <laughs> no, no, no additional charge. So yeah, so they're calling it lossless for a maximum resolution of 24 bit, 48 kilohertz at high res lossless. For a maximum resolution of 24 bit 192 color. Um, the big thing, big, the like, point of discussion here is that Apple's own devices, namely, namely the AirPods, AirPods Pro, the standard AirPods and the AirPods Max do not support the high risk lossless tier, right? Is that correct? Am I getting this correct? That is correct because, and I think the biggest reason to mention why is I don't know of any consumer device that'll natively play 192 hertz music. Um, I, I think like your, my DAC and your DAC will. Um, that's what, I could phrase that better. Our DACs will play that, but, um, but like, I don't think there's any built in speakers on a phone, on a TV that will do it. And you might, and, and the reason so, and that's why, you know, it's not supported is just because, you need an external DAC to play music at that high, you know, to actually do it without um, downsampling it. Right, right, right. And there's not enough bandwidth in the Bluetooth uh, network stream to support uh, lossless. Oh, yeah, that's the other reason, too, yeah. You can't do losses over Bluetooth because of codecs. So so I, I, I'm i just going to, like, quote from, like, Apple has a whole fact about lossless. And they're, uh, one of the first questions is, can I listen to lossless audio using AirPods, AirPods Pro, or AirPods Max? And it just says that, Bluetooth connections don't support lossless audio. Uh, and same with the, like, can I listen to lossless audio over Bluetooth? Like, Bluetooth connections don't support it. Uh, and speaking of HomePods and the HomePod Mini, they, they said support for lossless is coming in a future software update. So right now, it, it is not supported, right? Like, right now, if you play it, it will play a lossy version, right? Not the lossless version. Uh, and if, and there's also, 
can list lost audio using Apple's Lightning to 3.5 millimeter headphone jack adapter. Yes, you can. You can support that supports up to 24 bit, 48 kilohertz lossless audio. So not not the high res lossless, but the just the lossless tier that's at 24 bit, 48, right? Because the the DAC in the in the in the headphone jack is it doesn't support like higher than that, right? So. Uh, can I listen to Oslo's audio using the AirPods Max lightning to 3.5 millimeter audio cable? No. So, so this is, this is very funny to me because the AirPods Max can be connected to like devices playing lossless and high res lossless. But, uh, but because it's an analog to digital conversion in the cable, the playback will not be completely lossless. Uh, so I, I I like this is just this is I this I feel like this is like what happens when you try to enter the world of hi-fi audio and most of your devices are consumer grade audio devices that are not meant for high res audio like 24 bit 192 like which I think 24 bit 192 is actually useless for anything other than mastering at recording purposes, uh, and, and I don't think anybody can actually listen to the difference between a one ninety two kilohertz track and a and a forty eight kilohertz track because literally you physically cannot your ears cannot listen at those higher frequencies. Uh, so right, you know, so the so yeah, there's I think I think we kind of been like half memeing that we're being cavalier about this because it's very this, this is silly. It doesn't matter because like I I put this on Mastodon, I record our podcast files at 192 because I get more precision when running plugins, right? Because it goes through audio data. There's more physical data. I don't, I don't record. I don't record at 192. I record. Yeah, I know. I, I have to pick my battles with you and that's not one I've decided to have yet. But, um, but it's like there's more precision, right? When you run plugins, it's for computational purposes. But like what I do, I listening to it, like, trust me, I, my voice does not sound any different at 192 versus 41. Except for those three episodes, I accidentally downsampled Sadik's voice wrong, and he sounded like two tones deeper, and I didn't realize it. <laughs> I just thought his voice was that deep, but um, we don't got to talk so about that. That's, that's amazing. I love that. That's good. Um, so you yeah, never like, caught it too, which is very funny to me. I mean, I like sometimes I don't even listen to the episodes, so I, like it'd be like I might miss it. But yeah, I can literally put whatever I want in here right now. Honestly, at that point, I can put whatever I want in the mix. I'm just gonna put. I'm just going to put Migos in the background. It's bad and bougie just nonstop throughout the episode. <laughs> so, yeah, like, I I think here, okay, so I am, like, I as someone who has a music, local music library of, of FLAC, right, like, of, like, FLAC, most of it is in, is in 16-bit, 44.1 kilohertz. There is some 24-bit stuff in there, mostly because sometimes... Uh, some artists on Bandcamp just upload the 24-bit version for some reason um, of Flag, of, of Flag, so you just only download it again, like a three gigabyte zip file, which is great, you know. Uh, so yeah, like I have the 24-bit, but I don't like when I download Flag, like I'm I'm downloading the 16-bit 44.1 kilohertz because it literally does not matter if I download like 48, like a 192 like it's got it's it's pointless it's it's waste of space for me i only download it for archival like the, the flag versions for archival reasons right and when i listen to music on spotify obviously it's not lossless when i listen to music on my phone using the local music music app it's also not lossless because i convert the flag files to variable bitrate mp3s so i'm not listening to lossless there either because guess what? When I'm listening to music on my phone, usually it's either via the Air or the HomePod Mini speakers or via the AirPods Pro. And Bluetooth is already, as as Apple already mentioned, does not support lossless audio. So there would be no point in me using lossless audio. My overall point here is lossless audio is fine for like you know listening to it on your desktop computer with with a good DAC and good headphones. But for most most of the time, most of the time when you listen to music, you don't. It doesn't actually matter. Um, and I should I should say the uh, what you just said about the good jack and good headphones. That's what matters instead of the lossless audio bit. The, the fact you're using lossless audio doesn't mean shit. It's the fact that you're using good headphones and a good DAC. Because guess what? If we if we took these sort of pieces, 
what has the most effect on audio quality? If you use, say, like a pair of AC600s, right? For example, headphones people like. Um, a Fido DAC, right? A Philo, whatever it's called. You know, pretty good. Yeah, very good Fido DAC, right? And you had a 320 MP3 file. It's still going to sound pretty fucking popping, right? Like the, it, it's the the equipment. It's it's like it's it's okay. So it is like streaming video in that yes, you can see more Blu-ray, right? A Blu-ray rip will look better, but ultimately having a calibrated TV in a room that is equipped to uh, be treated for audio will be a better experience. Then say having a baller T then having like a, a Blu-ray rip on just a standard 1080p TV, right? That sets his default calibration. The source material is not as important as the room you're listening to and the equipment you're using to listen it with. Because at the end of the day, most people are probably using ten dollar earbuds anyways, or using like skull candies or something, right? Or the Apple, like the Apple uh earbuds, right? Like those those things, right? Like those are not those are not good. Like it's like this this I I I'm, I'm like yeah, for some reason, everybody's interested in providing lost uh, streaming. Like Spotify's about to add a tier of it too. Yeah, uh, for some reason, I I don't, I I don't know, and they're not even like Apple is not even charging extra for it. So it's not a money grab. Like I, I I don't I don't know what this is, but they're doing it, and I'm sure some people will care. I I don't think Neil Young like cares. If, that's that's yeah, for sure. Maybe maybe like I like I am not like swayed by this like i'm not like i'm gonna switch to apple music now because it has lost this like no like i i don't like it doesn't matter like most of the time when i'm listening to music like whether i'm listening to a lossless copy of, of the version on spotify i literally cannot like if you did an a b test like i wouldn't be able to tell the difference between the two files like it, it like the high t high t audio tier on like the highest audio quality on spotify and the and the flag file i have like i'm not going to be able to tell like maybe if I like I knew what to pay attention to, I might be able to tell. But that that's not like how I listen to music, and most people do not listen to music in that way. Right, right. Like for example, right. Nav's still a garbage artist, even if it's on Slack <laughs> oh or on God, MP3. What? Like it doesn't change the difference how you listen to Nav. Nav's still fucking trash. Nav's still trash. <laughs> like it's 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 still gonna sound some like some trash trash shit like it's it's not like trash music is not going to become better uh on good on although on, i should say i should say i'm going to enable the high res here on all my devices because fuck comcast I'm you know what i respect God. that i respect <laughs> that i respect you just burning your audio like using just the audio just to get the higher bit rate and spend more bandwidth more coda right you know just for the just for the elephant you know like i respect that what's what's gigabit internet for right <laughs> if not that yeah like if apple if spotify adds like the lossless tier uh for free on the on the desktop app or whatever they do like i'm gonna just turn it on just you know why the fuck not right like I, it doesn't really matter either way but Sure, I have the bandwidth, you know. Like, who who cares? I'll do it anyway. Like, it, does, it doesn't really matter. But yeah, uh, this is this is happening. Uh, there's also the spatial audio thing, right? Like the uh... Dolby Atmos spatial audio, which is a whole other mess because that requires remasters of audio, right? You have to do, you have to mix it again and do a full on master. You have to make it specifically. Yeah. Like, and most albums are obviously not mastered for Dolby. I'm Atmos. very interested in how this sounds because I don't like. There's stereo panning, right? And some tracks, there's sometimes tracks will do a thing where it tries to make it seem like something's spinning around you, but like, yes. I don't know. I mean, that's pretty common. Like, honestly, I don't know. Like, is Amigos track better because you hear mama from the back of your head? <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, I don't know if you're going to, you're going to hear it. Turn, turn this pan pandemic into a pandemic in like with Dolby Atmos audio. Oh my God. It's just, I, I, I'm now more interested in that. To actually see how that sounds. Yeah, I'm just curious because, like, what does this mean for, like, the music production side of things? Like, if you're trying to make something sound good and, like, sound good, like, you some preparing a mix for Dolby Atmos, like, what does that even mean? Like, what does, how does that, like, what's the workflow, like, for that? Like, how, what logic preset do you have to use and whatnot? Uh, like, I, I mean, I would be very interested. I'd be very interested to see, like, you know, like, you have those, um, those, those, like, old mixtapes that used to have like those damn son where'd you find that and trapaholics like i'd be oh very interested to see how you master that in dolby you know in dolby atmos because they used to have it um a couple of like daffit mixtapes i used to I listen to they'll have it go from your left and right ear right where it's like stereo pan like I'd, i would love to see a 360 pan of that that you know <laughs> sure like some i'm sure some hip-hop artist is going to do some innovative shit now you know music, musicians are clever 
uh, producers are very like you know. I'm sure we'll see some interesting creatives. Like it's it. I, I mean, we're we're making fun of it, but I feel like maybe there's some uh, like space for creativity using. No, absolutely. Like I I'm. I'm hopeful that maybe Nav might sound good in spatial audio, but I'm not sure about that. <laughs> no, no. I look, I, I don't like Nav is like, dude, he's just going to sound like he has one flow. The dude has one flow and he's going to sound the exact same on spatial audio or on a 64, one, like a 128 kilobit per second MP3. Okay. It's just, it's not going to sound better. Trust, trust me when I, when I say this, you know, uh, Nav, Nav is not going to be better. Um uh, so let's let's I think we can wrap this episode up. Uh we it's uh, oh, we we can wrap this uh audio file segment up and I'm sh- uh sure we're going to be mentioned by one person who listens to like 24 bit uh audio. Uh, I'm sh- I'm sure there's one person at least. Uh if if you're that one person who for some reason has a library of 24 bit or 92 kilohertz music Please add me specifically, actually, at PacketCat at 10forward.social. I want to hear how much space you have storage you have wasted on that. Um, let me know. Uh, you can also find me on, on my website, sadiqsafe.com. And Chisa, where do people find you on, on, on the internet? So Scarlet Nexus is a um, game made by the, the guy who made Tales. Bandai Namco made the Tales series. And it recently released a. It's they released a demo um, on the Xbox. I was playing it earlier today, and it's actually it's pretty interesting. So it's it's anime. Yeah, is it it's like anime. A, it's an anime game? Is it anime? Okay, okay. Is it like a, what what genre of game is it? More like it's a it's action RPG. It okay, plays a okay. lot like like imagine it's like the near aesthetic, but more anime, right? But the same kind of gameplay. It's not a bullet hell, but you know, like that kind of like third person character action, you know, sort of style game. And honestly, the combat feels really good in it, and I really am enjoying the um the sort of the gameplay feel of it and the responsiveness of it. Is it available on other platforms, or is it? Yeah, the like... demo's out on Xbox right now. I think the demo's also on Steam. It comes out in a month. Um, so the demo's out right okay, now. I'll, I'll actually, I'll actually take a look. That uh, seems mildly interesting. Yeah, because the sort of the concept is there's you play there's two characters, two different storylines to play through. Um, both it's very anime AF. Has been problematic yet in the demo, but you never know. You know, it's anime, so you never know. I mean, it's, there's time. We have to. <laughs> there's time, but um, sort of the concept is like you play as like a advanced military force in a world where there's like a bunch of people with psychic powers and stuff, and you're just battling through enemies, and um, it's very stylized. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. It uh, looks looks cool, actually. Kind of like I like kind of I kind of like the art style here. Uh, so I'll, I'll give it a sh- yeah, and it's like there's enough depth to the combat, yeah. So it's been a I just just want to throw it out there as a recommendation, you know. Um, also, Love Live got announced season two, so you know we're we're back for our Love Live corner soon enough. But um, yeah. Oh my god, yeah, Scarlet Nexus. It says it's coming out on 24 of June. Uh, made by Bandai Namco and published by Bandai Namco, obviously. So so there's that, you know, our anime game corner. <laughs> it, says, it, it, it continues. It continues, but yeah. Uh, until next time, find me online at chosefan at ten forward. No, I'm not on ten forward not, anymore. I'm not on ten forward. No, no, I got banned from ten forward. Um, <laughs> no, you didn't get banned from chosefan at chitter x y z. And uh, yeah, get a vaccine. Get a vaccine. Goodbye. <laughs> Bye.